With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Good evening, everybody. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. And this is Kim. All right. Well, thank you for being with me tonight. I appreciate all of you that are listening in that catch the archives. Um, wanted to let you know, guys, I thank you for sticking with me. And, you know, like I said, I got some energy. I got my focus back. There's a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about. Tonight's show is, let me see here, what did I title it? Thinking Thoughts and Feeling Feelings, right? So let's see here. I got the curtains open, so it's a little sun getting in. And, all right, I should have put that screen on. Anyway, it says, Thinking Thoughts and Feeling Feelings. Please join us Wednesday at 6 p.m. as we talk about a number of issues that are being discussed in the black community. We'll talk about black influencers and their roles, how to tell the difference between posers and those who genuinely care about the black community, the fetch and step mascot whose main job is to misdirect and confuse the black community so that their white benefactors can continue to oppress the black community. The mascots are more than happy to play that part as long as they benefit financially and have the position as overseer of all things black per their definition. And then I put here classism versus racism, complicit black opportunists, right? And so much to unpack, see Wednesday, which is today. So, you know, um, most of my shows go two hours, and I always have two hours worth of talking to do. Anyone, anyone of you that has ever spoken with me on the phone know I can talk and how much I enjoy talking. And so it's just really interesting, but it's so much to talk about. And, you know, I've talked about a lot of this over the years, but I just think we need a refresher course. I also think I'm going to do another Don't Follow the Judas Goat show. That should be coming up. I've been saying that for a few years, but, you know, we'll we'll figure that out. So I just want to thank you again for listening to us. So I already read the show description that I wrote out there. I want to bring you all back to the quote that I gave last Sunday on the show, and it's from George Jackson. And it says, the major obstacle to a united left in this country is white racism. And again, the major obstacle to a united left in this country is white racism. And that's George Jackson. Um, basically, you know, again, I'm not going to do the bash Kamala thing. Um, I'm not going to go through, is she really black? None of that. None of it. You know, we all know how I feel about the Democrats, but we also know how I feel about the Republicans. You know, I, I, I don't like either one of them. And I feel that we need to have third and fourth parties. And, of course, you have some people out there that are totally against that, and they have their reasons, and I'm okay with that. I just disagree. 
And, you know, there are many reasons why we need to have a third and fourth party. The main thing is so that these two parties that we're currently involved with do not take us for granted because they have done so much. And what's interesting is that you have a number of black people out there that have have absolutely no problems being the token, being the mascot, being the only fly in a buttermilk, if you will, for mainstream white organizations and movements and people that send them out there with these particular talking points, or if they don't give them talking points directly, these these particular black tokens and mascots know better than to say anything that will make their benefactors and sponsors uneasy or uncomfortable. So, you know, there's a method to the madness. And then they also use these same black people to shield them from, from claims and charges of racism. And this is the thing, even having those black people that you put out front, that you call yourself um, endorsing or amplifying or what have you, that doesn't save you from charges of racism. Not at all. We just look at them like they're crazy. And we critique them, and most of those people, they cannot withstand those critiques because they feel as though they are above reproach. And in some way, in their mind, they've decided that, you know, what they're doing is noble and, and, and that they're helping the black community when all actuality, you know, whether they think about it this way or not, this is what it is. They're an overseer, and they are being put in certain positions to manage and control the black people, specifically the black problem people, you know, the Negro problem, right? And they use those particular black tokens and mascots to gaslight the black community and to gaslight conversations and to gaslight movements and, and, and basically, you know, trying to do everything that they can to dissuade us from talking about race and racism or focusing on race and racism while exalting the whiteness or, you know, those particular white movements and those white organizations and those white communities. And once we come up against it and we start calling these things out, you know, I'm telling you, you know, if you want to see somebody that's just heated, do that. Challenge them. And challenge them in such a way that you back them into a corner, better yet, ask questions and challenge them about things that are not on their talking points list. So, you know, and, and the truth is that with some of them, you know, with their little talking points, when they have their little PowerPoint presentation and, and trying to talk about things that they clearly do not understand, if you ask any questions that, that deviates from the two or three things that they believe that they know, you know, they stutter or they'll say nothing, and they'll sit there looking foolish, and then they will expect, you know, some other person to come to their defense, whether it's another black person, a person of color, or a white person, but specifically their benefactor. So, you know, I just want you to pay attention because what many of them are doing is they're trying to appeal to these so-called white elites and or, the you know, the political class or, you know, and, and basically – their job is to talk down and look upon black people, look down upon black people. And, of course, you know, this is done with the permission of the white movements or organizations or people that, that, that they have been appealing to. And it's just interesting because you see a lot of this in the nonprofit sector, right, 
in which, you know, you see different organizations and different people encouraging folks, especially younger blacks or middle-aged blacks, to create these nonprofit organizations in an effort to help the troubled, the troubled and the, the disillusioned blacks, the problem blacks and their problems and, 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 and to manage them and oversee them and, you know, bring them to the light, give them a better way of thinking. You know, if you change your thinking, you'll change your life. You know, you know how that goes. And so what happens is, is that it further exacerbates the divide within the black community because now you have, you know, this black political class or these black elites or so-called wannabe elites versus the working class poor blacks. And when I say this, I'm not just talking about people that run, you know, black nonprofit organizations. I'm talking about some of these, you know, black public intellectuals, some of these academics, some of these talking heads, and and some self-appointed people, you know, the ones that think that they're hood rich, right? And, And it's just really interesting, but, you know, their main job is to spit out propaganda, you know, and they have to spit it out like their lives depend on it. While when all of that is happening, you know, they're trying to be in their own way a model minority, right? You know, basically out here trying to have to take no risk whatsoever, but trying to be the model minority, trying to to show these particular organizations and movements and people that they're the ones that you should go with that, you know, they're the ones that have the ear of the people. They're the ones that have control of the community and control of the situation and control of the narrative when that's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, and so it's just really interesting when you start watching that and you start better understanding what's happening. But what they don't seem to understand is that, you know, with every onion, you know, there are different layers to it. And so, you know, the black people that are being used by these mainstream white organizations and movements and people, they don't realize is that these same white people and organization and movements, they want to have that number one top position, and they want to maintain that top position. And again, these are white people, because if you go back and you look back into history, you'll see that funding in black communities. There used to be nonprofit organizations, including churches, that would receive money. So they would receive funding from the government for some of their outreach programs into the community. And, you know, they would apply. But what happened was, you know, during the 70s, especially the 70s and the 80s, what they started doing was these larger white organizations and foundations, they started applying for the funding. And basically the way it was set up is that they would get all of the funding and then they would kick money down to the black and brown, you know, nonprofits in the community, but only if you pass their vetting, if you will. And with many of them, they receive money specifically for the black and brown community, but because they are not regulated, they are not audited, they are not accountable they take that money and spend it as they wish. You know, there was a situation then and now in which there was a lot of money for HIV and AIDS outreach to black and brown communities. These white organizations would write the grants, get the money, and spend a little bit in the black and brown communities, if any, and keep the rest of the money. 
And so the black and brown organizations that were out there that used to get the funding directly, now they have to go and basically kowtow and beg for money from these larger white organizations and foundations. And this is being done again to control what is happening and what is said and what you know people are doing in the black and brown community. Again, it's these, the ruling class, if you will, um, and these so-called elites that are desperate to hold on to their power and their wealth. And they are basically scared that black people and women in general, but the black community and women across the board, that, you know, they are demanding too much and demanding more than what these people want to give them. And so, you know, I talked a little bit about that particular dynamic last week with Kamala by her being a black South Asian woman and and how that scares some people. Because, you know, there are people out there that do not want us to see faces that look like us, to see people who look like us, to inspire us to, you know, dare to to race and, 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 and aspire to white mediocrity, if you will. And, again, most of those white people that are in those positions, they're not very smart. They're actually less than mediocre. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. We all know how I feel about that, right? And so um, it's just so much, you know, and you have a lot of blacks that are complicit, you know, because I call them basically self-serving heathenists, right, or self-serving opportunists, which is what many of them are. They'll say and do whatever to get financing, to get you know, any type of recognition, you know, uh, speaking gigs or, you know, opportunities to in which to enrich themselves. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having active and passive income streams. I'm not saying it's anything wrong with any of those things, but it's wrong when you're stepping on other folks and it's wrong when you're supporting someone that you know is full of shit. And you're willing to put your principles and your ethics and your morals to the side for aspirations of two more dollars when you know and you see the damage that's being inflicted, but you can turn a blind eye to that and then say, well, those people have chosen to follow that individual. They've chosen to listen to that individual. But yet you want to turn around and yet still hold these people in the community accountable and responsible, saying, well, you knew better. So if they knew better and they're doing what they need to do, then why do they need you in their community telling them that they need to change these ways? You know, so it's just interesting, you know, and um, like I say, you have some complicit blacks that know better. But, again, willing to turn a blind eye and go totally tone deaf for speaking engagement, for blood, money, and a false sense of power that is snatched when they go off script. You know, and basically, you know, they put them in there, again, to attempt to limit or control conversations and discussions about race and around race. So, you know, it's it's just, you know, I just, ooh, you know, <laughs> You know, I really have a problem because, you know, instead of the white people coming into the black community and spouting off anti-black terrorism, they just send the black ones out to do it. 
And they do it happily. And they come in there with their predatory and manipulative scams. You know, while pushing the narrative of bootstrapping. You know, and so, you know, I'm just, like I said, my thoughts are right there. I'm just looking at all of this and, you know, seeing what's happening now in this country where you have all of these corporations talking about Black Lives Matter. You have all these politicians talking about Black Lives Matter. You all know how I feel about a lot of these white folks out here screaming Black Lives Matter. And what they're doing is they're co-opting the movement and they're whitewashing it down. So basically what they've done is they've taken the term or, you know, um, the, the, yeah, the term Black Lives Matter, and they've pretty much turned it into a thoughts and prayers type of situation. Just like when they say diversity and inclusion is nothing but thoughts and prayers. Where's the action? Don't give the money to your favorite token black organization. Give your money to the people that are actually out there on the street doing the work because your little tokens and mascots are too, too busy begging you for money to do any work. They don't have time. You know, besides begging you for money, they have to, you know, step and fetch to keep you entertained and amused as well. And you know that's exactly what you're doing. So anyway, I just had to kind of talk a little bit about that. You know, and it's interesting because the article that I'm referring to, um, that I referred to on last Sunday's show, and, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about today, but this is in the New York Times, and basically the title of the article is, A Black Marxist Scholar Wants to Talk About Race, It Ignited a Fury. Again, a black Marxist scholar wanted to talk about race, it ignited a fury, and it was written by Michael Powell. And it's actually a really, really good article. And it talks a little bit about Marxism, socialism, the democratic socialists of America, and and the people um, that support them. And how some of the younger people, especially some of the younger people of color, um, took issue with them inviting Adolf Reed to give a talk, you know, a Zoom talk. And... It just kind of took a life of its own, and it just made me think, start making me think about some of the larger organizations. This is precisely why Black Lives Matter started shutting down the gay pride marches. So what they would do is they would show up, get to the front of the gay pride march line, and stop them and shut the parade down and force the organizers to come down and sign a contract that they would invest more money in the black and brown communities as far as, you know, a number of different type of educational and health issues, you know, and, and this is what they've had to do. And I totally agree with what, they're, what they've done and what they continue doing. As a matter of fact, there are some things that I'm going to be implementing soon that will be kind of along the lines of that, but it will be more online. Why? Because Kim ain't trying to get no damn corona. Kim would not survive the corona, so we're not getting ready to play with that right now. But, you know, what Kim does have is, you know, some influence, social media, and an I don't give a damn type of attitude. So you can get a lot done when you got that. 
have all of that, and then also Kim has a little bit more freedom than most other people because there ain't a goddamn thing you can do to shut down what I got going on over here. So I'm not really too worried about you or anyone else, and I got three million ways to make your life miserable. So that is how that goes. So anyway, um, you know, I want you guys to go and do some searches on black movements, socialism, Marxism, communism. There is, you know, we have a, a long history with that. You know, um, it's a book coming out later on this year. Dr. Jeffrey Perry wrote another book on Hubert Henry Harrison, and he was considered the black Socrates, right? And this guy is one of my heroes. Go out and look him up. And, and, and Cedric Robinson, he wrote a book about black Marxism. It's, it's, it's a lot of them out there. If you go up and you look up the Black Panthers and see what their, you know, platform was built on, it definitely was built on, you know, Marxism and socialism and communism. I mean, it was required reading, Right. So this is not anything new, but you see younger people that are taking more of an interest in this now and bringing it to the forefront. That is why Bernie Sanders, you know, got the type of support he he was getting, because you have to remember Bernie Sanders has been at this for decades, and he was used to talking to five, six, ten people in a room. Now people are filling 15,000, 20,000-seat stadiums to see him. And so we have a populism movement that's happening. And, you know, again, it's really interesting because they try to say that Donald Trump's movement, if you will, was populism. And it was a movement of the people. And the people were talking. The people were speaking. And it was not necessarily a populism movement, but I understand why they wanted to package it that way. But, you know, it's just interesting because, again, you know, if you go and you look up the word drapetomania, that was a pseudoscientific term that they used for slaves that tried to escape the plantation that were not happy being slaves. And so for the life of them, they could not understand why these people were unhappy. You know, they gave them a place to stay. They gave them food. If it wasn't for them, they'd be, you know, uh, spear chucking in Africa, right? At least that's what they thought, but that's because they wanted to erase our history. But, you know, again, you know, that's the type of attitude that many whites have in this country now with blacks in this country. And you can, a lot of that racism, you know, I'm just going to say it, you know, from the Democratic Party and, and, and what's happening, you know, and this is not to say that it doesn't happen in a Republican, it's just that the Republican shit, are, you know, basically it's on Front Street. There ain't a lot of guesswork with that shit. That's the one thing I can appreciate about Donald Trump. Ain't a lot of guesswork knowing what the fuck is on his mind. But with the Democratic Party, you know, if you go and you look at their budget, you know, they spend less, almost next to nothing reaching out to black and brown people and, you know, nothing reaching out to indigenous people. But the rest of the money they're using to reach out to the white community, reaching out to these white races that have been voting for the Republicans. 
And so, you know, when they look at us and they tell us, why is everything about race? Why must everything be about you being black? And it's like, this is all that we know because this is what you do. You are so invested in whiteness and white supremacy that, you know, you don't even recognize what you're doing. So when you come to us and you say these things, you're projecting. And then you wonder why we're sitting there looking confused and or looking at you like you've lost your mind. Because everything that has happened in this country has been built on race, has been built on a hierarchy. And so it's just really interesting because, you know, um, they feel that things are wonderful in this country for black people. We would just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and, and appreciate and be grateful for what we have. While you have, you know, working class and poor whites that will will basically cut off their nose, cut off their left and right arms in, to, be, to be harmed by, you know, these politicians just so that they can see that black and brown people are harmed even more. And so, you know, you have people putting out, you know, these types of questions about are we living in a failed state in this country due to what's happening, you know, with the, you know, socioeconomic, political, cultural bullshit that's taking place in this country. But, you know, black people have been living in a failed state from the very beginning. So you're saying that a system is broken. We're saying a system is not broken. It's working according to how it should work. And if we, you know, if we're living in a failed state, this is all we know. This is all you've ever demonstrated to us. And so it kind of takes me back to something I used to say back in the day, and, you know, I still believe that to this day. What does it feel like to be free? And if we are ever truly liberated and freed, will we, I mean, will we know how to act? And when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, again, I'm talking about black love. I'm talking about black joy. You know, you know, will it be exuberant? I mean, you know, I think many of us will be there in shock, you know, at the fact that, you know, things are finally going our way. And so, you know, some of what you're seeing with these racist whites as well as the election of Trump and Cruz and a bunch of other ones, you know, I I believe that, some of that is due to the fact that they know that they're losing power. And in addition to that, you know, they have some smart white people over there. And they are, they're looking at those numbers, and their numbers are dwindling. White people are dying out, you know, which is one of the reasons why they're tackling this opioid um, epidemic, the way that they're doing, that they're tackling it. They're trying to do it with kid gloves and, and joy, joy, happy, happy, peace, peace, you know, we're not going to put you in jail. We're going to put you in treatment, and we're going to do it for free. While you still have black people languishing in prison for selling a nickel bag of weed, for, you know, having an addiction, you know, they were incarcerating people for being addicted to, you know, black people for being addicted to drugs. It's just, it's a mess. And then, but you don't want us talking about Joe Biden and the role he played in the crime bill. You know, let's not even start talking about the Patriot Act and the role that he played in that. So anyway, you know, it's just really interesting. And I talked about this article a little bit last week. I really want you guys to read it. 
because this is a conversation that we need to have more of. And though there are these organizations out here that I definitely would like for you guys to look up. So you have the Democratic Socialists of America. You have basically Black Sock, which is Black um, Socialists of Color. You have ADOS, American Descendants of Slavery, and you have FBA, which I forgot what it stood for. Please forgive me, but F is in Foxtrot, B is in Bravo, A is in Alpha. You can look them up, but they're also a, a political group of people seeking reparations for black people in this country. So, um, you know, it's just really interesting. But, you know, again, you know, if you go back and look up some just some different things about America. Look up specifically Negro problem, and you're going to see a lot of information come up about W.E.B. Du Bois and a number of other black intellectuals that talked about that issue. And, um, you know, there were some issues with W.E.B. Du Bois, too, you know, but that's neither here nor there. But, you know, the thing is, is that black people in this country have been called problematic from the very beginning but especially when we were emancipated. So we've been called lazy ever since we decided that we weren't going to work for free. And they need to have their Negro overseers, managers and controllers to keep the rest of us in line. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you all straight up, you know, you all ain't seen shit yet. Because, you know, if if, the cheddar tater tot is reelected. I think all hell is going to break loose. And what they're fearing in this country is a real black uprising. That is what they're fearing. And so that's why they're helping these people set up these organizations and these particular institutions because they're trying to save themselves. They're trying to protect themselves and allow that black face to take on that liability. And then because they don't want to be called racist, they send the blacks out there to do the anti-black terrorism on the black community. And they do it happily. And that's not to leave out the brown communities because you have some people in the Latinx community that are racist as all get out. Same thing in the Asian community. And, and even some in the indigenous communities, they're racist towards blacks. You know, where I live here, you know, is very, very, very white. But we have a lot of um, Indians, South Asians, right? And sometimes the way some of them look at me, I just mean mug their asses back, and they turn their head and go on about their business because, you know, I just... And some of them are darker than me, which I don't understand. But that's just me. And so, you know, we have to talk about this because, unfortunately, you have quite a few people in these particular positions of overseer. Uh, they like to pathologize the black community. And they like to shift the burden, you know, onto the black community like we did this to ourselves. Like, you know, we're the problem and we need to fix it without addressing all of the, you know, systemic and structural issues that are out there. Yeah, FBA stands for Foundational Black Americans. Thank you so much. I appreciate that text. Um, so FBA, Foundational Black American. I, I don't know why I couldn't remember that, but thank you so much, Lori. I appreciate it. 
Um, so, yeah, so, but no, they try to pathologize us, and it's getting to the point that they've trained black people to pathologize their own people and their own community, and they get paid, you know, well, to be honest with you, I would like to say that they get paid handsomely, but we know that's not true. If you go and you look at the pay disparities within a lot of these nonprofit organizations, you'll see you'll see that they pay black people far less than they pay white people that are in that organization with the same and even with less experience and or education. You got to remember black women is black women are the highest educated group in this country. And so what they do is they send them out there with that anti-black rhetoric, with that, you know, pathologizing type of philosophy telling us that, you know, we did this to ourselves, that we're the problem. If, you know, we would only act right, if we would only pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, if we would stop focusing on race. And, and, and you know, and, and the thing is, is that black people, we've done everything. To, to try to make things right, to try to be seen as humans. And there are just some people who refuse to view us as a human being, period. And because they refuse to view us as human, this is why they have no problem beating us down in the streets, shooting us, and, and you, know, tr- you know, treating us like we're fucking dogs or less than a dog, because trust me, they treat their animals far better than they treat us. And again, I believe that's about, you know, them being able to dominate over that, over that pet. And, you know, and again, it's about captivity and control, you know. And so basically what you see with some of these black token mascot overseers you know, they, they have to secure their role and make sure that they continue to have that role and, and, and to get the accolades that they so desire, you know, they further victimize us. And then turn around and tell us that they don't understand, how, you know, why we see ourselves as victims, that that's weakness. And, and so it's just, child, again, it takes the burden off of the state it takes the burden off of these institutions and foundations, and it, put, it places the blame on us. And what's interesting is with these so-called woke white people, you know, they love this because it lets them off easy. You know, these, um, the white elites, the white political class, these white politicians, you know, these, these white billionaires, and I'm telling you, they're right there at the trillionaire class, the 12 wealthiest people in this country, you combine all of their net worth, is well, it just topped a trillion dollars. So this is what we mean when we say the trillionaire class is, is here, right? And that's why sometimes you'll hear me say that if you're worth less than $500 million and you're a white person, you, they actually consider you poor, and what's interesting is you have a lot of these white people, especially some of the ones voting for Donald Trump, but even some of the moderate Democrats that are just Republicans, but, you know, that's something different. Um, basically, you know, they love this. They love this. They love the fact that they are basically being let off the hook. 
And that's why I say, you know, that they commodified, you know, um, Barack Obama's ascendance to the presidency. They're commodifying Kamala Harris's ascendancy to the possible vice president's, you know, position in this country. And, you know, and with a lot of these black politicians and so-called black political elite ruling class, all them folks there, is that they do not mind commodifying blackness and selling it off in different parts just as long as they benefit and are enriched from it while the rest of us suffer. And so what I was getting to when I was talking about white working class and middle class people or the ones calling themselves the middle class, there is no such thing as a middle class anymore. That has been crushed. And you can thank all these, you know, neoliberal policies and laws that have gone into place. There is no such thing as a middle class. And that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of that white rage and outrage because of the fact that they know that they've lost their footing. They know that there is no longer a middle class. And if you really want to get deeper into it, I want you to go and do some research on the white middle class and how it came about. It was created and instituted by the state, by the government. So, you know, there is a long history behind this. And what's going to happen with, you know, Biden and Harris, if they're elected, going to be the same thing that happened with Obama and Biden. They're going to implement more neoliberal policies. And, and unfortunately, you know, black people, we're going to lose more of our wealth, the little bit that's left, right? And in addition to that, we're going to suffer even more. However... The government feels as though they can be shielded because Barack Obama was half black. You know, Kamala is half black. You know, why would black people hurt other black people? And you have some black people that will defend them and their policies to the very death. Just like you have them out here trying to shame those of us that do not, absolutely do not want to vote for Biden. We also don't want the cheddar tater tot in office either. So what the hell do you do? Oh, we'll pick the lesser of the two evils. The lesser of the two evils is still fucking evil. And I need you to understand that. And I need for you to understand how white people are using blacks to further, you know, pathologize and harm our community. And one of the ways that they're doing this, let me bring it all together here, you know, because I started talking about nonprofit organizations. And I've been telling you all this since 2012, 2013, that the Republicans are trying to fool the American public. They're trying to pull the wool over your eyes because what they're trying to do is get rid of the social safety net, the so-called entitlement programs, right? And they've been trying to pass that on to the churches, Now, you see this with the faith-based initiatives and a number of other things that have happened out there in which they give grant money to these churches, predominantly white churches, and they give them the grant money and tell them to go into the communities and and to, you know, keep the people under control, right? 
And what they can do is once they pass that money to, you know, not only the states, but also to these organizations, this is one way they can discriminate. And they may pass very little money down to the black and brown churches or organizations or the black and brown churches and organizations have to go to the white ones to get money that supposedly or allegedly is, is earmarked for the black and brown communities. And this is how they can deny black people access to the social safety net. So not only are they now offering this to the church, they're offering it to other nonprofit organizations that may just be community organizations, civic organizations, you know, some other political organizations. And with that there, they know it's going to fail because these organizations do not have the, the, the um, infrastructure nor the subject matter expertise or expertise in order to fully implement these programs to continue to help the communities that need help. And this is one of the reasons why I get so angry specifically with the atheist community because the atheist community wants to get rid of these churches and get rid of some of these other black and brown organizations because they just want them to go because it's based on religion. But the atheist organization has not, the atheist community, excuse me, in organizations and foundations have not put together any type of programs to go into the community and offer them help with food, you know, whether they're being a food desert or being a food depot in which they can give food to the people that are hungry to help people with their gas and light bills through a federally funded program. You know, they're not establishing offices out there. They're not going out into the community and touching the people and helping the people. They're not doing any of that. So if you get rid of the church and you get rid of these religious organizations, some of the ones that are really doing some real work in the community, then what's going to happen to the people? You don't care. And this is one of the reasons why I go off about libertarianism, especially because it's like a damn cancer in an atheist community at large. It's a wet dream for them to be able to discriminate against people. And I don't understand how the black, brown, you know, Asian and indigenous, you know, atheists, especially the ones that head up these organizations, I don't understand how you're allowing them to use you in that way and how you're trying to go into these communities and break down and, 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 you know, destroy, you know, organizations or institutions that have been there helping the people. Now, you know, there's only a few of them that are helping the people. The rest of them, you know, some of them are on some real shit there. And we know this. Just like we know some of the atheist organizations are full of shit. Same thing with some of these feminist organizations out here doing this work. Total bullshit. They don't listen to the black feminists. They don't fund the black feminists. They won't read any of the black feminist writing, you know, and, and will tell you that they want to opt out of anything black. But yet you want us to support you. And, you know, this is the 100th anniversary of the suffrage movement, you know, the 19th Amendment, the right to vote for women. But they don't talk about the racism and how, you had black suffragettes that were charging that particular suffragette movement with racism. And there was a lot of it then, and there's a lot of it now. 
I remember sharing a story with you guys, something that I saw on Twitter, in which this woman wanted a, um, an Indian or South Asian um, feminist to design their website. And basically she wanted to understand and, and have the ability to opt out. So the South Asian woman was like, opt out of what? And the white feminist was like, well, you know, Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. That's a common story. I remember I had someone from the National Organization of Women calling me trying to pick my brain and and get some information and, and some insight and how I can help them and you know, they wanted me to come and speak, and I was—I just wasn't interested. And one of the main reasons why I wasn't interested, how the hell are you going to call me up drunk, slurring, and then turning around and making little racist comments, not realizing you're making racist comments while you pick my brain for free? Because, of course, there is no money. There was no money for an honorarium. There was no money for transportation. There was no money for, you know, accommodations. We just want you to come. Like, I ain't got shit else to do. I was probably taking a nap at that time, right? That's probably what I had scheduled. So anyway, you know, it's it's interesting because what they're trying to do, just I'm talking in general, and again, that's not only, like I said, the atheist or the feminist community. I'm also talking about the disabled community, you know, the community that deals with disabilities. There's a lot of racism in that as well, Um, you know, and even within some of these, you know, um, socialist movements, not all socialist movements are equal, because there's a fascist socialist movement as well that I need you guys to be aware of also. And, you know, so, yes, there are some socialist movements that are based in white supremacy and and, in global white supremacy. So do your research. But what they're trying to do is force black communities to fix and remedy America's racism and anti-blackness. So, again, they're putting the onus of this on us when we didn't create the problem. But, see, this is the thing. What happens with these woke white people is their little black mascots lets them off easy. And they think by having a black president and possibly a black vice president that this is reparations to the black community. This is them making amends. And the reason why some of them have so, you know, have such a problem with us is because when they see us, it, it dredges up the memories of racism and slavery and, and Jim Crow and anti-blackness. They can't get away from their history. And sometimes it eats some of them alive. And the fact that we won't stop talking about it, it makes them feel worse. So again... This is one way they can discriminate with the funding and deny black people access to the social safety net. That is what is happening. That is what is going to happen on an even broader, larger scale. It's coming. And I need you to pay attention to what's going on around you and how they're putting this together. But most importantly, you need to recognize the posers that are only in this for the money. They don't give a damn. And they're not in the community doing anything. They're shucking and jiving for their next nickel and dime. So
so that they can do whatever it is that they want to do, but they're not in the community. They're too busy sucking up to these white people to do anything for the black community. Don't believe me? Look it up yourself. You know, and what happens is when you allow them to do this, when you allow them to put the onus back on the black community for us to fix and remedy America's racism and anti-blackness, what happens is then they want to redefine racism and even white supremacy. They, they want to say that it's about people being mean-spirited and discriminatory against them, against other people. And they want to break that, that, that definition all the way down to that when it's not. It's, it's about structural, systemic racism. And, um, you know, again, it's interesting because, you know, with, with um, Adolph Reed, you know, basically he wants us to move beyond identity politics when it comes to race and focus squarely on, you know, class, classism, right? And, you know, it's not, that's not how this works. And, and, and we cannot afford to do that. And I'm talking about black people. We cannot afford to, to not confront America, not confront white people with the racism and, you know, the structural racism that we've been living under since we came to this country. And, you know, that's what makes, you know, those types of arguments a little dangerous. However, those are conversations that need to be had. So I don't want to shut down the conversation, but I'm just trying to give you all a little insight as to, you know, the direction that that's going in. And, you know, someone tried to compare Adolph Reed and what he's saying to Fred Hampton, right? And, you know, Adolph Reed is saying that we should drop identity politics when it comes to race and racism. Whereas with Fred Hampton, he says we have to overcome racism before we can wage, you know, a class war. Adolf Reed wants to go straight to a class war. But there is a long history between the unions and the trade unions and all of those people in the black community. There is a solidarity there. And it's something that we need to maintain, and we have. If you go and you take a look at, you know, a lot of these marches and movements, you will see that solidarity. And look at who a lot of these unions are endorsing. You know, at least this time, you know, some of them endorsed, you know, the cheddar tater tot then. And there's a couple of them that's endorsing him now, but, you know, again, not nearly as many. You know, so, you know, you have people out here that are saying that, you know, you know, we can we can charge and fight racism and not throughout capitalism. As a matter of fact, let me give you the name of this article. I want you guys to go and look this up, right? So this was on marketwatch.com, and the title of this article is We Must Fight Racism Without Throwing Out Capitalism. Again, We Must Fight Racism Without Throwing Out Capitalism, and this was written by Peter Morici, or Morici, 
So anyway, it's just talking, it just says the byline is we need an honest conversation about race, not white wokeness and cancel culture banishments. And um, I want you to go and read that. That was published on August 10th of this year. And, you know, it's just really interesting. Um, You know, I want you to read that. There's another um, article that I want you to read, and this is in no particular order. I'm just because I had these earmarked to talk about or to tell you all to go and read, and and I'll try to post these on my wall. But this one is in theguardian.com, right? And the title of the article is Why Black Progressive Women Feel Torn About Kamala Harris. Again, Why Black Progressive Women Feel Torn About Kamala Harris. And this was written by Derricka Purnell. And you can find that on The Guardian. There's another article, and you can find this on classunity.org. Now, mind you, you know, in in these articles, I don't 100% agree with everything in these articles, but I think it's important for you guys to read them to get a better understanding. So the title of this article on classunity.org is Spiraling Anti-Marxism in the DSA. Again, Spiraling Anti-Marxism in the DSA. And it apparently was written on, published June 4th of this year and written by the editorial committee. So, again, the title, Spiraling Anti-Marxism in the DSA. Um, another article is over here on Louis Proyek. So, L-O-U-I-S-P-R-O-Y-E-C-T dot org. And this was published July 13th of 2016. Adolf Reed, Master of Marxism, Clintonism. And again, Adolf Reed, Master of Marxism, Clintonism. So I want you to go and read that. It's a very, very interesting article. Um, you're gonna, you should be able to pick out some really good information in this article. Um, and we all know how I feel about Bill and Hillary. So that should not come as a surprise. Um, this other article... You know, I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all because i got to post this. I haven't, I haven't fully finished reading this, but this was published on August 14th of this year. Again, August 14th, and this is on HamptonThink.org. Again, HamptonThink.org. The title of the article is Black Politicians, White Supremacy's Indirect Rulers. Again, Black Politicians, White Supremacy's Indirect Rulers. And it was written by Christian Gines or Gines. Again, Christian Gines or Gines, G-I-N-E-S. The article is entitled Black Politicians, White Supremacies, and Direct Rulers. And the byline here is just it says it's talking about black libera- liberation, abolition, crime and punishment, decolonization, geopolitics, politics and government, race and ethnicity, blah, 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 blah. But read this. You know, I, I was able to kind of scroll through it and, and just give it a cursory view, and it's actually a good article. Another one, and I'm just throwing this in for shits and giggles because I just think it's interesting, but you can find this on Al Jazeera, right? And the title of the article is, If Black Americans Were to Seek Asylum, They Could Qualify. Again, if Black Americans were to seek asylum, they would qualify. I'll read that again. If black Americans were to seek asylum, they would qualify or they could qualify. 
And this was written by Amali Tower. Again, Amali Tower, A-M-A-L-I. And so, you know, I want you to go out and I want you guys to take a look at those articles and go read them. But, um, you know, I'm just going to say a few more things and then I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up because I'm pretty sure some of you are just really anxious to see the DNC tonight. I watched yesterday and, you know, all I got to say was, yeah, I watched that. Moving on. Uh, you know, and going back to what I was saying, you know, basically there are a lot of people in this country, especially some of the people that I'm talking about in particular, they want more capitalism, but they want it in black face. And that's not going to save the black community. That's not going to save us. That's not going to make it any better. You know, because capitalism is capitalism. You can't have capitalism without racism. And especially how the economy in this country was built. It was built upon slave labor then as well as slave labor now. And what's happening with this coronavirus, you know, if you didn't know you were slave labor, you know you're slave labor now when they're calling you essential workers and basically marching you off to your death. And your mama and your sisters and your children can't sue nobody. So, again, I'm just thinking thoughts, feeling feelings, you know, and I just look at some of these black people, you know, that are out here that are part of the problem because, you know, they're trying to profit from this system, this very unjust system, and enjoy all the benefits of fucking imperialism given to them by their white benefactors. And they want to be seen as equals to their white peers, colleagues, benefactors, sponsors, whatever you want to call it, you know, they're allies. Only to be unpleasantly surprised when they are given the Negro treatment. You know, and if you want a real-time example of what I'm talking about um, in regards to the funding and how a lot of these white organizations get the funding and they're supposed to pass the money down. Just go and look up funding for HIV, AIDS, education and programs in black and brown communities. Just do a Google search for that. You'll find all these articles. They should pop right up about how the funding, you know, has somewhat dried up and that the black organizations, they have to go and pretty much beg for money from these white organizations and foundations to do education and, and outreach to black and brown communities, money that was earmarked for the black and brown communities, but they don't spend it on the black and brown communities because who going to check them, boo? They understand how this works. The problem is, you know, most of the people in the community don't know how it works, which is why we have to get out there and we have to communicate and tell them. So, again, you know, some of these activists and, you know, so-called organizers, you know, from these black organizations, they have to go and beg for money. And they have to do that because the white people want to continue to regulate how these particular black organizations and activists organize and operate, and they want to continue to control the narrative which is to pathologize black people in the black community. 
So they're so busy doing all of that and begging for the money that they're rendered useless because they're not in the community doing anything. They don't have the time for that. When they got to put on a show for Miss Ann and Mr. Charlie. So, again, you know, um, you know, we know who you are. We see you as you recapitulate talking points that are in line with your white sponsor and benefactor's mindset. You know, telling them that black people are bad news and bad people and that you must set them straight and you're just the person to do it. So give you the money, give you the position, give you the so-called authorization and authority to go and set them savages straight, right? Funny how that works. So it's time to put the spotlight on these people. But, you know, again, they're going to do everything they can to shield themselves, even if that includes, you know, if, even if that includes involving their so-called benefactors and sponsors to try to shield them and try to shame those of us that's calling them out into submission. That's why I posted that meme on my wall. It's funny because, you know, I'll tell you what it says. It says, you, want, you, you say you want unity. But what you really want is obedience, which, you know, which I will never give you neither. So fuck you. And that's true. You have some of these people out here saying, oh, we want unity. What they're doing over there and what they're talking about is divisive. You don't want unity. You want obedience. You want someone to kiss your ass. And you want things done your way. And that's just not going to happen. So anyway, I just wanted to talk about that because what's happening with the nonprofit industry, you know, and the nonprofit organizations out here is basically they're being privatized and they're being privatized to basically take over the social safety net, which will still be controlled by white people and still governed by white supremacy and racism. And so, again, white people can't help themselves. They want to be in control of everything and everyone. So they'll do it the best way they can in the most effective way that they can, through the money, which is why we always tell you to follow the money. Follow the money, and because they want to privatize the social safety net, You know, black people, as I've said before, we are in trouble. And these white people are trying to find more and more ways to manage the money and control our communities and control the money and control us. So anyway, I said I wasn't going to be on here long today, so I just wanted to talk about that, a little bit about that. I want you guys to go and look that information up. And again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. We are Black Free Thinkers, but we are not the Kanye or Candace Owens kind. You guys enjoy your, what's today? What, what damn day is today? Wednesday. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Y'all take it easy now. Thank you for staying with me and sticking with me. I missed you and I love you. Take care. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.